Hello and welcome to the Brave Business Podcast, brought to you by accounting, tax, audit and advisory firm Blick Rothenberg. Brave by name and brave by nature, this series is different. Aimed at entrepreneurial businesses, we focus on providing market updates, practical guidance, timely insights and professional opinions from industry experts, helping you make informed decisions for your business. I'm Declan Curry, journalist and broadcaster. The topic of diversity and inclusion is constantly under discussion, but when it comes to your business, how do you ensure it's more than just talk? Can a clear diversity and inclusion strategy help entrepreneurial businesses? And what are the steps that should be taken early on in a business's growth to ensure that it is ingrained within their DNA? To talk about this, I'm joined by Angela Cook, Head of Diversity and Inclusion at Blick Rothenberg, by Nimesh Shah, who's the Chief Executive of Blick Rothenberg, and by Kerry Stairs, who's the Partner and Director of Responsible Business and Pro Bono at Charles Russell Speechless. Angela, let's start with you. As Head of Diversity and Inclusion, what do you do all day? Hi, Declan. Um, so um, I would say, in a nutshell, my role is to act as a trusted advisor to our people to help them, uh, to provide them with practical actions um, to to create a more diverse and inclusive culture at Blick Rothenberg. And it feels like we have been talking about the importance of diversity and inclusion in business for some time. The message is getting through, isn't it, that this is important? I would absolutely hope so. It certainly is at Blake Rothenberg. This really is important for business. And the business case has been demonstrated time and time again. You know, it's not just the right thing to do. There's just, you know, there's not just a moral case about this. There is absolutely a commercial angle to this. Um, And like I say, the the business case has shown that the more diverse an organisation, particularly at those senior levels, the better the business performance. So performance is better. It also has an impact on recruitment, on the willingness of people to work for you. Absolutely. I think candidates are looking at organisations' websites and representation is really important. They're looking to see if there are people like them, you know, whether they can belong. Um, So for me, representation, and I think for candidates, representation is key. I just wonder, how relevant is it to... You know, we're this podcast is aimed at entrepreneurial businesses. Mm. If you've got a business, it's a family business or there are only two or three people in it. Is it as hot a topic? I think it should be. I think it should be relevant for all businesses. Like I say, I think this is, you know, it's not just the business angle to this. There's a moral aspect to this as well. I think there is a real spotlight on um, ESG, on diversity at the moment. And I think this should be relevant for all businesses, not just big business. Nimesh, you're the chief executive. What has been the company's strategy on this? What has its journey been? I suppose in all honesty, Declan, uh, there has been no strategy uh, for a long time within Blake Rothenberg speaking very candidly, but also the accountancy profession as a whole. I can speak very confidently about the profession. I've been involved in accountancy for 20 years plus, and part of my role to come in as the chief exec a couple of years ago was to look at our structure right throughout from top to bottom 
and understand what the future of the business should look like. Um, I talk a lot and Angela gets bored of me talking about it internally, which is about the sustainability of the business and the relevance of the business going forwards. Uh, when I'm not here anymore and the legacy that I'll leave behind with our senior leadership, do we have a fit and proper business for the future? And that was one of the big uh, push factors for me to invest in Angela as a head of diversity and inclusion that we can't fix our problem, our issue, our challenge overnight. Mm. Uh, it has to be something that we need to invest in now so that it is giving us results, um, byproducts of all the things that Angela's talked about in five, 10 years time for the business to still be here. Because I worry one of the things, many things that keeps me up at night is what does the future of our profession, what does the future of the business look like in that time? And I'll admit, I'm not an expert in diversity. I've read a lot about it. Um, and I was fortunate enough to sit next to Kerry uh, about six months ago at a dinner. And I said to Kerry very openly, I, I really don't understand diversity and inclusion. We've just hired Angela at the time. Uh, and Kerry was very kind enough to send me a book. Uh, and she said, Nimesh, if you do anything, read the first two chapters of this book and maybe we'll come on to that in in a moment. What do you understand now that you didn't understand before? Angela picked up on it, which is business performance as well. Those institutions, so not necessarily an accountancy firm, but any institution, uh, the lack of diversity can create real holes in not only the here and now, but also the future as well. It's that uh, collaboration of different perspectives and different ideas. If you've got the same demographic of people all in the boardroom, say, who are nodding along and agreeing with each other, are you getting the best possible outcomes for that decision now? Maybe, but what does that mean for the future as well? And that, again, is my driver here to improve our diversity. Um, again, I think inclusion is something something mm -hmm. different, but certainly improving our diversity over the long term so that we do reach the best possible outcomes for the business. And I'm here as the chief exec of a firm and business performance is right at the top of my agenda. But as Angela was saying, that there is something uh, around our position in the community and position in society as well to make sure that we're investing in those people coming into our business. Uh, and again, I think that will have the byproduct, uh, this, this sort of harmonious byproduct of uh, creating the best environment for both society and our business. What's really important, though, we didn't want this to turn into any sort of crusade. Mm. So it wasn't a PR exercise on saying, oh, we must change the world. It, it, it's not about that. And also mm. the same to our, our clients, the businesses that we act for as well. What we're trying to do is say that this will yield positive business performance on a two-way two basis over the mm. long term. It is in your benefit to do this. Yeah. Uh, Kerry, I'm going to welcome you to our uh, discussion, uh, Kerry Stairs. Um, what does your company, tell me a little about what it does. Uh, Charles Russell Speechley's is an international law firm. Um, I joined the partnership uh, back in May last year. I can't quite believe it's been a whole year. Um, and I was promoted with an exclusive responsible business mandate. Um, and that shakes down into two broad buckets of work. One is working with people across the business to interrogate and understand and strive to improve our own impact, whether that's environmental impact or social impact. And we think of of diversity and inclusion in this sense as having um, as sitting within the S, the, the, the S of ESG. Um, and the other part of my role is working with clients. So, so many of our clients have their own sustainability or DNI or ESG objectives. Um, and as Nimesh has alluded to, there is a role for us now as professional services organisations helping our clients to achieve those objectives. And sometimes that's through playing our traditional role as legal advisors. And sometimes it's through 
um, being trusted and open and collaborative business partners. Um, and I echo completely your point about this not being a dynamic where we're trying to influence or persuade our clients. Quite often, the dynamic is reversed. It's our clients putting us under the spotlight and asking us what we're doing to promote greater diversity. But in an environment where companies are now thinking beyond profits, thinking about different types of impact and different types of engagement with stakeholders, and many of us are doing that in the dark, <laughs> there's an opportunity for businesses to have collaborative conversations, to be really candid and open about what's worked and what hasn't worked for the improvement um, and better business for everyone. So just to echo the, the point that Angela was making uh, so well at the very start of our discussion, it's about the business case. Absolutely. And sounds as if I'm being incredibly sycophantic here and yeah. agreeing with everything um, that, that others are saying. But I've seen that evolution of the business case it started as a, a values-driven ethical conversation and Charles Russell Speeches is a very socially minded firm that ethical case has been embedded for a very long time and then there was an evolution um, towards thinking about diversity and inclusion as something of a procurement imperative you know our clients want it and therefore we need to do better and demonstrate progress because um, it, that's being asked of us but that in recent years has widened out into something much more sophisticated and nuanced people are beginning to understand that you know, beyond just responding to the client pitch there are so many commercial benefits to having a diverse workforce um, indeed starting to think about it as a uh, an imperative we simply won't be able to solve the kind of complex problems that our clients are bringing to us unless we can um, bring creativity innovation um, problem solving skills um, our clients are increasingly diverse and if we want to be able to relate to them properly and authentically then we need that diversity um, in our business so so there has definitely been an evolution in the understanding of the business case so multiple strands uh, to this uh, angela we've talked about uh, the importance in business performance. We've mm -hmm. talked about the importance of recruitment. We've talked about uh, companies dealing with clients in a way that the clients think that you understand them because mm -hmm. you have that wider perspective. You don't have that group think that sometimes mm -hmm. uh, prevails businesses. And we acknowledge the progress has been made, but we're not there yet. Nope. So what are the barriers? Gosh, uh, there are a fair number of barriers. I think for me, um, one of the barriers that comes to mind is unconscious bias. I guess it's the stereotypes that we that we have. It's the assumptions that we make. Um, and unconscious bias is a very natural part of the brain, how the brain functions. Um, it enables us to um, function in a fast-paced environment. However, it does impact the decisions we make. Um, the relationships we build. We're more likely to build relationships with people who we have something in common with or um, that we have a preference for. So, um, you know, unconscious bias is a real barrier, but unfortunately you can't de-bias people um, because it's a process in the brain. Um, for me, what you have to focus on is your systems, making systemic change your processes, your policies, how you do things. You know, you might have been doing something in a particular way for, for many, many years, but actually, again, you know, looking at whether things are biased within that process and then putting interventions in place to, to break down that bias. Kerry? I think that's an, an excellent point. When we, we've just been through a sort of revamping of our diversity and inclusion strategy and governance at mm. the firm. And as part of that, 
I've done lots of research. I've spoken to lots of external experts mm. in, D- in DNI organisations that have actually been able to move the needle positively on this issue. And one point that came through again and again and again um, was this essential shift that you need to make from being an organisation that debates the existence of unconscious bias mm. to just accepting it as a fact of life. Um, I think the term unconscious bias has become a bit loaded. We can just think about them as blind spots, natural human blind spots. Um, And if you become an organization that simply accepts the existence of blind spots um, and puts the energy that you might have used in debating it and resisting it Mm. um, into identifying imbalances Mm. at every level, Mm -hmm. and there will be imbalances, and then taking proactive steps to redress those and not just looking at the surface level so how you recruit who you recruit who do you promote ah right so that's an example of this in practical terms it's the 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 penchant that some organizations have or some people have to recruit people who look like them or make them feel comfortable yeah absolutely and i think we might come on to talk about the importance of data in general But if you have data on who you recruit and who you promote, that's a great starting point. But there's no need to stop there. I mean, you might be able to collect data on who does what work. You know, where do the most important client relationships sit within your organization? Who gets the most access to business development? Um, Who does the most work on diversity and inclusion issues? Very often it's... um, it's underrepresented groups that go the extra mile to help an organization improve its diversity and inclusion uh, performance. And how are those people being rewarded? Are they? Or is it, in fact, taking um, them away from other opportunities? So you can interrogate how your organization is structured and who does what at every level. And once you've found those imbalances, then you can take proactive steps to, to rebalance. Nimesh, is it more difficult for companies to take steps like this at a time when the outside environment is so challenging, when many of the entrepreneurial businesses who will be listening to this are worried about uh, rising taxes, rising energy bills, supply chain constraints. Doesn't that push topics like diversity just down the agenda? It could do, but I don't think it should. What I'm actually seeing in... um in my client base and the entrepreneurial client base at Blit Rothenberg is the opposite, that people are seeing the external factors of those things that you mentioned, Declan, and saying, well, how do we address some of that through things that we can do, some of the practical considerations that that Angela was talking about? And look, we're, we're not immune to it either as lawyers and accountants. We took a real business decision to invest, and it's not just um, so Angela's salary, but it's also everything that will come around that and we talked about unconscious bias and the training, how we go and recruit the data side of things. That all takes time, investment, money. But we think that some of the challenges that businesses are facing at the moment, which is short term, um, we've seen sort of the economic forecast that inflation will go down. Can't say the same maybe about taxes. Um, but how can we address the things that are in our control right now? And yes, there's a bit of short term investment. But I do feel very strongly that the long-term gain and say go back to the relevance and sustainability of the business and the attraction of new customers, new clients, you have to do that now um, to be future-proof. If I, if I think back to the beginning of the pandemic as a relatively newly minted director of responsible business, I thought to myself, I might be toast. I mean, th- this will put so much pressure on, on our business, on every business that I, I seriously wondered Um, late at night whether the focus on ESG would be sustained and looking back now I think we can all agree that 
the focus on environmental, social and governance mm-hmm. issues, including diversity and inclusion, has only been intensified mm-hmm. by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, but there will be companies out there that think think of it as something that is nice to have rather than must have. I think that is surely right. Um, but I think the, the data that we have on, for example, uh, investor attitudes tells us that investors now... Um, look at companies with strong ESG credentials as representing better prospects for long-term returns. I think there's enough data out there now to evidence that we are seeing a shift from uh, a time when investing in your social impact or your environmental credentials was seen as a nice to have, but ultimately dilutive of value to one in which it's pretty clear and investors buy into this idea that that investment is fundamental to the bottom line, to your resilience as an organization, to your profitability, to your ability to attract capital, to get decent insurance premiums and so on. So it is now it's becoming an organizing construct for doing business um, profitably. Angela, we've mentioned several times now data. Is that a good first step for in, you know, in terms of building up that practical toolkit of things we must do? My number one mantra, really, data, data, data. You know, I work with a firm of accountants, so um, I think, uh, you know, they they respond to data. (laughs) Um, But I do think it comes back to, you know, what are your challenges? What are you trying to address? And I think you only know that from your data. And data can mean your numbers. Um, You know, it can be your drop-off rates in your recruitment process from attraction to recruitment. Or it could be tapping into the lived experience, the qualitative data from people in your organisation. Um, you know, what does it feel like to work in in that organisation? How on earth do you measure that? Well, you hold focus groups, you have employee resource groups, um, you, you talk to people, you talk to them and you listen. You know, you hear what their experience is like. And some of that will come out through engagement surveys. Some of it will come out in exit interviews as well. Um, So I think, you know, that side of things is is just as important as numbers. And the big topic that we mentioned was recruitment. Yeah. What work needs to be done there? How do you manage that pipeline of talent either coming into the organisation or already in the company? So I think for me, again, it goes back to the numbers, the data. It's having, it's understanding the the makeup of who you're recruiting, um, you know, who you're promoting, who you're developing, who you're giving the opportunities to and monitoring those numbers, monitoring, looking for any trends. You know, I think having that data is absolutely vital because you're able to put um, initiatives in place based on evidence rather than assumptions. I would just though challenge too much reliance on data as well. I'm, I'm an accountant, my background, mm. you can get data obsessed. Yeah. You could just bury yourself in spreadsheets. And I remember a colleague of mine telling me when I took on this role as the, the CEO of Blit Rothenberg, Namesh, please do not run the business by spreadsheets. And I took that really, really on board. Mm. Data is important because it can give you an indicator of where things are at, where things are headed. Mm. But mm. Angela mentioned it, the quality of the conversation then with each individual person, whether you're doing focus groups or one-to-one, mm. don't underestimate the power of that. And I personally meet every single new joiner that comes into the business. Okay, I don't talk about or labour on our DNI, but it does come up in in conversations. Well, certainly with sort of the Generation Zs, the Millennials, it's a conversation that comes up in even in the interview process as well. I remember very recently an interviewee, uh, a candidate that is, uh, that is joining us, 
wanted to speak to me as the head of the firm and said, what is your DNI, um, your DNI agenda, Nimesh? Uh, so just my word of caution on too much data mm-hmm. as well. And what about policies like mentoring or sponsorships or how even as a small enterprise, you look beyond the usual places for the talent that you need? How is that done? Absolutely think mentoring and and sponsorship is important. I think mentoring, having people guide you through your career. If you've got a particular challenge, going to someone who might be able to support you with that. And I think that can happen on an informal basis. Um, I don't think you need to kind of put a big program or initiative in place around it. Similarly, sponsorship. um, And there's a difference between sponsorship and mentoring. Mentoring is someone who will be a guide, who will be a support, a shoulder to cry on, someone who will take you to the door of the next step of your career. Sponsorship, however, is someone, a sponsor will give you opportunities. You know, I can absolutely, um, when I was promoted, I can, I absolutely can remember there was a partner who very much went out of his way to give me opportunities to help me get to the next step. That wasn't any kind of formal program, but, you know, I absolutely could feel his support. And he was, again, mentoring will take you to the door, a sponsor will take you through it. Um, So I could feel how he was really going out of his way to give me those opportunities to progress. I mean, it's fundamental. So if you're if you're going to be a diverse and inclusive organisation, mm. you're going to live those values. Of course, a lot of the policy and process and and practical steps mm. that you need to take, you will do with a human resources hat on, thinking about your people. But increasingly, um, we are trying to think more broadly. So if you're going to be a truly diverse and inclusive business, surely you need to think about your supply chain. For example, how are you procuring goods and services? Are you setting up your systems in such a way? that you give access to a diverse range of businesses. Think about your clients. How are you pricing and marketing your services? To whom is your expertise accessible? And then you can step back even further and think, well, structural injustice runs across and through society. Do we have the skills and experience as an organisation to help make some inroads there? Now, as lawyers, we, we do. <laughs> There's lots of pro bono work that we do. Um, to try to tackle structural injustice at a societal level. But it's not dependent on having legal skills. There may be sector-wide collaborations that you can help lead or champion that can help tackle problems at a sectoral level. So human resources is key, absolutely, and probably the starting point. But I would encourage um, everyone thinking about this to zoom out a little bit and think about the wider impacts that your organisation can have. This is a real helicopter view of the business and its impact on its sort of the wider sense of community. I think that's right, yeah. And Wait. that and that feeds into when we started talking about ESG and where diversity and inclusion fits. But that's one way of thinking of diversity and inclusion as a, a broader S or social impact issue and coming at it from a range of different angles. And it can't just be on HR, I completely agree mm. with Terry. It can't just be on Angela in again taking our example of at Blit Rothenberg. Uh what I've tried to do, and I, I'm I was guilty of this as well, which was ignorance around the whole agenda of DNI. It was only because I've got uh, I'm blessed that Angela sits only just down the corridor from me, and I, and I was sat next to Kerry at a dinner a few months ago, that it opened my eyes to the importance of of DNI. I think organisations do need to think about as well as especially at the senior leadership level is an understanding of 
why DNI is important. I say I'm not the expert, but there are lots of resources out there um, through consultancy or even online as to as to how DNI can help that business. Uh, and what I did was to open up my experience of my ignorance to our entire partnership group uh, by giving them some education, actually prompted by Kerry, who bought me a book, and I'll give it a plug, which <laughs> is Matthew Side's Rebel Ideas. And I bought that as a Christmas present for every single partner in our firm, just to say to them, like Kerry did to me, read the first two chapters of this book, you will understand DNI um, much better and the importance of it as well. So that's what I did. I'm not saying that every partner in the firm is converted, but I think that just that awareness of why it should be brought into business decisions at that senior level, it can't just rest on the shoulders of two, three people in the organization. It's got to be universal across the firm and hopefully that will cascade down. Mm. And then the new recruits coming in as well will understand the importance of DNI and why it should be central to the business agenda. You've said a couple of times now, you've, you've mentioned what you regard as your own ignorance of sort of the issues around diversity and inclusion. What has your personal journey been? Progress as far as you have in this industry, which frankly does not have the best of records. What has your experience been? It's a great question, Declan, and uh, I do get asked that by our junior people in Tony. We did a video interview with one of the young people in our Globe Mobility team about six months ago about my journey. Uh, now, uh, speaking again very candidly, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm from the north, I'm from Yorkshire. Uh, I was the only person of colour in my, in my school and all my friends are from white backgrounds. Uh, I thought that was just normal. I had had some experiences of racism when I went to games at cricket, but I sort of brushed it off really because I knew no different. Uh, and when I went into the work environment at 18, uh, just before I went to university, I did a gap year. And again, I knew no different. And I think that was my own ignorance again as well. Um, so again, speaking very, very candidly, I've not necessarily experienced, which one would think uh, that I should do because of my background. I've not experienced that um, lack of inclusivity or any sort of bias in my career. And I've, I say I've been fortunate that I've had very, very good people who have, Angela's saying about sponsorship, I've been incredibly fortunate right throughout my career that I've had people back me. Uh, and when I came to Blake Rothenberg 10 years ago from the North, uh, knowing nothing about London, no, no, knowing nothing about Blake Rothenberg at the time, again, I was very, very fortunate. I was surrounded by very supportive sponsors and partners that allowed me that platform to, uh, to succeed and fulfill my potential. I'm a very different person now to what I was 10 years ago, but I think everyone does need that, but it doesn't always happen. I say I, I was lucky. But as you say, you, you were not a stranger to experiences of prejudice, even though they may have been or may have felt normal by the standards of the society in which you were in. It's still behaviour that you should not have experienced. Is that in your thinking today as the leader of this organisation? 100%. And I think that comes on to the inclusivity uh, agenda, uh, which Andrew and I debate regularly in the office. So uh, I, I can't tolerate that. And that's not just my own, the, the very limited prejudice, I'm very fortunate again, uh, that I've experienced throughout my life, my working life. But I just don't think that's that should be tolerated in a place of work or in any societal form. So uh, we call out poor behaviours and I will certainly do that in my role, but I also encourage whether you're a very junior graduate or whether you're a senior partner in the firm, 
Um, we won't tolerate poor behaviours, whatever that may be, but certainly prejudices. Angela, what does success look like? What does good look like? I would say for me, you know, I, I think it depends which part of the D and the I you're looking at, uh, although they are interlinked. I think obviously much more balance throughout an organisation when it comes to diversity. I think, but diversity in its broadest sense as well. Um, I think, you know, inclusion, again, behaviours, um, we're talking about people demonstrating those those inclusive behaviours, those inclusive leadership behaviours, and we're all leaders. Um, so I think people's experiences, people's day-to-day experiences will be much more positive. So I think that that's what good looks like for me. Um, you know, as a DNI professional, again, I come back to that data, having that data, continually monitoring it, not getting too kind of wound up in that data, but making sure that we're taking action if we notice that there are any issues. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what, what good looks like for me. Kerry, what does it look like to you? I agree with that. I would add that good DNI operates from the very top mm. down. And I say that because... Um, you can absolutely make progress if you have a DNI team or a DNI manager sitting in one part of the business doing good things. You can make some progress. But the more you learn about diversity and inclusion, the more you realize that to get it right, you have to incorporate it into every decision that you make as a business from the most administrative time at which a partner's meeting is scheduled all the way through to the big decisions about the clients that you act for and the people that you promote and, and the people that you elect to lead your organization and in order for it to permeate every decision that you make every process that the firm goes through on a day-to-day basis you've got to have a strategy and it's got to be mainstreamed into decision-making processes and that can only be driven Mm. from the top Um, you've got to have leaders who buy into this absolutely as an imperative as I say we've recently gone through a strategic refresh and a a, a sort of overhaul of how we govern DNI and we've got a new diversity task force that is co-chaired by our senior and managing partners. And we've been making progress on this um, steadily for a number of years, but that really feels exciting to me. That feels as if we can now um, set ourselves challenging targets and make uh, the progress that we want to see over the next few years because we've got the right people championing the cause. Do you need to have the most senior person in the business, however big or however small the business is, do you need to have the most senior person actively engaged? I think so, yes. Um, and I mentioned that process of, of gathering informal research that I went through a few months ago and everyone that I spoke to said said something similar. Um, so yes, I do think it's going to struggle to make significant progress on this issue unless the person or people at the top think it's one of the most important things that they have to do. Nimish, I'm struck that none of this is actually easy. There's no quick fix here. This isn't a little policy here, a tweak there. It's a whole view of the business and its purpose. Yeah, it is. And I think Kerry summed it up with that helicopter view of we need to look right throughout the business. Um, and there are no, yeah, there are no quick fixes. For me, this has always been not window dressing. Uh, it's long-term investment and those practical things that we are doing. And I think I need people to understand, certainly internally, I talk about it a lot, but anyone listening along and looking at their business that this really is a long-term generational shift as well uh, we are not going to solve it overnight uh, it shouldn't be seen as a quick fix because there are no quick fixes from what i've seen and the conversations that i've had with both kerry and angela over the last uh, last year or so 
the starting point will be setting that agenda. It needs that structure as well that both Kerry and Angela have talked about. Um, and then following that plan throughout, but accepting that you're not going to get quick fixes, quick results overnight. Angela Cook, Nimesh Shah and Kerry Stairs. Thank you all very much. I'm Declan Curry and this has been the Blick Rothenberg Brave Business Podcast. Thank you so much for being part of our conversation. Thank you.